We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. The Denisons, the Denisons, the busiest in the biz. You do know who it is, it's Dennis Quaid. That's him. Hi, this is Dennis Quaid. On this episode of The Denisons, I'll be speaking with John Carter Cash, the only child of June Carter and Johnny Cash. We'll be talking about music, about family, and quite a few other things. So listen in. And the interview takes place from the legendary Cash Cabin recording studio outside of Nashville. Hope you enjoy. So John, you're uh, at the cabin, it looks uh, like. Uh, I'm yeah. And yeah, man. the cabin being the cabin, the house of cash, mm-hmm. make music. And I've yeah, been in that yeah. cabin before. It's, it's uh, you can feel it's a very weighty feel being in there. You yeah. can feel it in the walls, in the uh, in that chair that I sat in, where your dad had etched his initials into the yeah. Yeah. arm of it. Yes, yes. Thank you for letting me come over there and just feel that place. For sure, brother. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's so much energy in this wood, you know. Well, there, there's Abbey Road, you know, there's yeah. Capitol here in Hollywood. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. Muscle Shoals. Uh-huh. There's, uh-huh. there's Sun Records. And then there's the cabin. Well, yeah, there's 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 us on the outskirts, that, perhaps that aren't as, as well known, and we're just fine with that. <laughs> but man, you know, uh, yes, I mean, uh, my father um, in the last part of his you know his life, he, he recorded uh, a lot of music here. Um, um, he he worked uh, starting with uh, you know with Rick Rubin back uh, um, in the early 1990s here in the cabin, and th- before that, actually. Um, um, my aunt Anita, my mother's uh, sister, her youngest sister, uh, recorded an album in here. And uh, the band uh, um, consisted of some wondrous musicians, uh, Pat McLaughlin and uh, some other wonder, wonderful people, Mark Howard. And, but um, one of her old, old friends was also uh, one of the folks that was here, and that was, that was Chet Atkins. And so one of the first people that ever recorded in the cabin was Chet Atkins, who, of course, you know, was one of uh, the 20th century's the greatest guitar players. How did the idea for the cabin start? Well, um, my father he he bought 160 acres there and around that um, on Old Hickory Lake in Hendersonville, Tennessee, in 1967, I do believe, and uh, that was a year before uh, he married my mother. To, uh, you know, three years before I was born. Um, but but he he bought that land, and there was. Um, the house that was on the lake and then across the street from it, it was all woods and uh, when i was uh, you know five or six years old my father my father uh, said how about a how about a zoo son sort of <laughs> <laughs> and um, so uh fenced in uh around 50 acres you know with um, six foot fence and, and barbed wire um, was it a place that first though to um to, to go just to get away yeah just to be by himself yeah exactly house. Yeah, yeah, and and that was that was it. He was he'd get home from uh, the road, and it was um, you know it was louder at home than it was on the road. Sometimes at the office, not at the house. But and so he'd want a place to find respite. So the cabin itself was built in 1979, but the compound existed before the cabin, um, and it was filled with um, various animals. There were um, buffalo, there were wild Russian boar, which are completely able to have in Tennessee now, but, um, but back in the 1970s, it was different. Um, we had a uh, fallow deer, um, black buck antelope, um, ostrich, emu. Yeah. Uh, all these, all these different animals. And, um, and, but, uh, but it, within that compound, um, is, is where he said, you know, I really, really want to 
find a place that uh, that I can just sort of go get away if I want to. And so the cabin was built in 1979, um, just a you know one room cabin with a small bathroom and an and a upstairs uh, loft where there were three beds. And he and I would come over and we you know I'd watch uh, Abbott and Costello movies. I would watch uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and. Uh, that was my favorite film at the time when I was 10 years old. I won't ever forget it. <laughs> over and over and over. And dad would sit uh, behind me, uh, over, you know, on the, in the table, at the table, and he would write, he would tool around in the kitchen and he would cook. And then we'd, we'd stay here. And then the, you know, the next morning we'd get up and, um, and go back to the house. And once a week when we were home, if we were home for a period of time, we'd do that or just every once in a while. And, so, but, uh, in the early 1990s, you know, that became, um, there have been a lot of life lived between 1980 and the early 1990s, um, you know. Um, but my father uh, decided, you know, hey, I want to go to my, into my cabin and start making music. And so he asked his engineer if he would bring in this eight-track Mackie board. And um, there's actually some things that were recorded uh, on the first American Recordings record, um, it, titled American Recordings, um, mm -hmm. it, um, it, within uh, the original cabin. Mm -hmm. Incredible. So it started out small, and then just it grew to what it is now. It's, yeah, it's really one of the icons of of uh, recording studios, I believe. I mean, growing, yeah. growing up there with your dad, you, you, it sounded to me in the talks that we've had. You were your dad's little buddy. You were the only the only son uh, with how many sisters that you've got? Uh, I had I had six half sisters. One of my sisters uh, passed away. My mother's second daughter. Um, and but my father was married once before. My mother uh, twice before she married my father. And mm. um, and so I, I I have five surviving half sisters right now. Um, Roseanne, the eldest, and Carlene, uh, my mother's eldest daughter, uh, right under Roseanne, uh, followed followed by uh, Kathy, uh, Cindy, and Tara. And, and so growing up as the only son, and now your parents, both, both of them are gone. Hmm. And do you see yourself as the patriarch of the family now? How, I'm really interested, I'm <laughs> oh, really interested to, to know, because, you know, I know that myself, my identity within the family mm -hmm. has changed over my life. And I'd be yeah. interested to know how your identity of yourself has changed. Uh, a, very, a very, very much, much flawed patriarch. I am no Abraham, my friend. However, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, my, my father will always be the patriarch in my head, um, you know, truly. And, um, and it's, it's his guidance and moral stature that to me is, is what is beautiful and brilliant. Um, and, and also um, it's something that he, that he lent to me um, and, and, explain to me uh and uh try to educate me um in the way that he saw things and and he also encouraged me to think things through for myself and, and to try to uh, decide you know hey how do i see things really uh, it's not necessarily what you know my father well he wasn't like the dictator was like this is how you do it this is this is what you do you know he yeah. was the kind of kind of person that that um that just said, you know, um, here's what I would do and follow your own path. Um, but I'm here if you need me and, um, figure it out for yourself. And, and my, my parents maybe should have been a little tougher on me, you know, uh, when I was growing up, but you know, I mean, the guidance of the high moral standards. What kind of a dad was he? Was there. he any kind of a disciplinarian? No. Um, um, he, he actually, <laughs> Only he only spanked me once that I remember it, and 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 I know it was only once because he told me that later. But um, and I was probably two and a half years old, and um, maybe maybe three and a half or four because it was it was after I'd started going on stage and performing. And I walked out on stage um, at the end of Boy Named Sue every night when I was little, and he'd say, "And if you ever had a boy," and he'd say, "And here he is, John Carter Cash," and I'd come out and take a boy named Sue, right? Yeah, and he'd hand me the microphone. He said, "You got anything to say, son?" And I'd say, "Oh, yeah," uh, and I have a little joke that he would teach me or whatever. Um, right. But this night, I grabbed the mic microphone and just started talking and just would not stop. Um, <laughs> and so my sisters, a couple of my sisters were there, maybe more than a couple. I'm not sure, but my mother was there, and they all saw me doing that, and it was like. Back in, especially back in the 70s, that they were like, okay, you, you know, you're going to spank him, right? And so my father, he took me back in the dressing room and we sat down and, and, um, um, you know, and I remember his, his big, tall leather boots 
They said, okay, okay, so, okay, son. All right, okay, uh, hold on, turn sideways. And he just barely took his hand and just went whoop on my, on my hiney butt, which what he called a, the rear end. Yeah. But, um, but he, you know, I mean, it was just more like a, a love pat. It was like, Pum, okay. You know, and, and so, but that was the spanking <laughs> and it didn't yeah. hurt and, and he knew it didn't hurt. No, he was not, you know, he wasn't a disciplinarian. Um, How about your mom? No, no. Um, you know, they came from different stuff. My father was always peaceful. He, he mm -hmm. you know, um, and I know that, you know, his, his father never raised his hand to me and uh, to him, excuse me, his father never raised his hand to him. And he said that on a number of times and uh, he never raised his hand to me, but my mother, um, you know, she was, she was a, perhaps had more of a, of a disciplinary nature, but, uh, um, but still there were very, very few spankings. Um, and I, but I've, I've written about that, you know, um, in, in my books and stuff, my parents, they had this nature in them that they were so loving, um, and so tender and, and, and kind and joyous and, and, and all encompassing with that love. Um, there was, there was no anger towards anyone. So that never arose. And then there was always a kindness that if everyone was disciplined, the kindness was in place of anything else. Uh, was it yeah, first? Fine. Always first. Yeah. Growing up, my, my dad wasn't much of a disciplinarian either. It was mostly my mom. I think that be, there were a couple of times my brother and I deserved spankings and he would come in there and he would like make, do, go through the whole motions of taking his belt out and snapping it. <laughs> yeah, and stuff. Yeah. There was somehow, somehow we figured out a way to, to crack him, make him laugh. Uh -huh. And then it was all over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. There was yeah, it's a different world we live in. Yeah, yeah. But, Growing up in your family, you went from being the baby of the family to you are the patriarch of the family, and you carry it very well, I think. Thank you, my friend. Keeping alive uh, the legacy and, and also moving the leg and broadening it and uh, mm -hmm. keeping it for, for everybody. You know, and, and that's it. The foundation of, of what has happened since he passed away was established on the work that he began and the integrity uh, that, in which it contained. And, and then since then, we always try to be very, very careful, very slow to make decisions and, um, and really, really try to, you know, to, to feel like we're doing something that he would do. Um, and, but at the same time, my father was the kind of person that would say, maybe you don't want to do everything just exactly as I would do it all the time. Because my father was flawed, and I'm flawed, and we're all flawed. But, um, you know, he had his addictions and his struggles and whatnot. He's, and he wrote about them. I mean, you know, they're all there for people to read and whatnot. Right. But um, what, 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 is, what is his higher mind? I don't always know. Uh, but he did have one. He did have a higher mind, and also he had a higher power, and he had he called it God, and the, so that that strength that was in him, um, you know, it passes on down through generations upon generations if, if we can tap into it and open our hearts to it. That's sort of I believe. Well, you grew up, you you grew up on the road with them, and uh, what did you learn to play the guitar? Uh, and did your dad I, teach you, or did your mom teach you? My father. Um, wrote out on uh, at when i was 10 years old he, he wrote out uh how to um, play a walk the line and, and and where to put your fingers on the keys he, he drew a little uh schematic of where your fingers mm -hmm. would go to make a g and a c and a d on a guitar and um and and he gave that to me at 10 years old and and i still have it but but it, you know uh, frame but now because it definitely uh, sets up you know it gave me a seed that grew but it wasn't until i was 13 that i picked up the guitar and it's because i wanted to learn to play like angus young from acdc um you know i didn't wasn't really <laughs> interested in maybell carter or playing like uh, uh, my father or um you know, playing like uh, Chet Atkins or whoever. All I wanted to do was 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 play screaming heavy metal guitar, and so you feel uh, like you had a rejection, kind of uh, in, in, re in rebellion of the. Uh, I think music. I think in my in my you know in my in my teenage uh, wasteland in my teen angst, I I just I just rocked. That's just it. I mean, I just you know I love rock and roll, and and all my friends did. It was just you know the commonality, and and it wasn't my, my dad, my mother, and father. That they were very receptive to my uh, you know to my music. They were very receptive to my enjoying music. We had a uh, I had a, a bedroom down the hall from where uh, they would sit and watch television, and there was actually a round bed that I looked out over the lake when I was young. So we took the mattress off of that bed and we put a drum stool, uh, uh, the drum set on it, and so that there was a drum set 
on that round bed uh, by the lake in my father's old house for years and years. And so we play heavy metal so loud, you know, it's like it had to be reverberated in the whole house when I was 14, 15 years old. My mother yeah, father, how they handled that? Well, they would just turn up the television a little bit louder so that they could hear it. You know, back then, there were they, he didn't have any headphones or whatever. But they so. wouldn't say, hey, stop that racket. No, no. Never once remember him knocking on the door, my mother knocking on the door. And, and, and Nobody however, stopping anybody playing yeah, music yeah. in that I, no I, matter what, right? But I'm the guy, you know, I'm the guy who knocks on the door and says, turn down your music. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but my, my father never did. My mother never did. Yeah, like you grew up playing. Did you want to be a, a musician, a singer, or songwriter? What was your first ambition that you can remember? What you wanted to be, you know, as as a child? Well, I mean, as far, as far as I mean, when I was very young, you know, looking up at my father on the stage, you know, um, seeing this towering figure above me, you know, I think I I imitated him. I wanted to be like him when I was very young, three, four, five years old. Uh, you know, as I got as I got a little bit older, by the time I was a teenager, um, all I wanted to do was play hard rock, and and so I didn't want to be Johnny Cash anymore. I just wanted to be my own rock guy. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people would be, but, uh, you know, envious that you yeah got to grow up around <sighs> yeah yeah what better education yeah. could you get? And, and yeah, way, but, yeah. Uh, about music, but, but uh, were there yeah, I wanted to be a performer but, for but, you uh, in that. Was yeah. there a downside in that? Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, but I wanted to be a performer, you know. Uh, but by the time you know I was in my twenties and whatnot, when I started working in music uh, in the studio, it occurred to me, hey, I can do it here. I can work in the studio, and I don't have to go out there on the road anymore. It was real right when Dad stopped uh, touring; it started slowing down a little bit. And yeah. um, you know, and so that's when I started producing music. That's when I started recording my own music. Is how I got into production in the first place. It's just yeah. by recording my own music, and then from there, um, you know, my mother came to me because she knew I'd been working in the cabin and recording stuff. She said, "How do you feel about co-producing an album for me?" This is my mom in the late 90s and i'm like yeah okay all right and so i got him a guy named jj blair and that was really how i cut my teeth in the studio uh was working with my mother uh on an album called wildwood flower and um you know so the co-producer with jj and i'm really really you know so grateful for having that apprenticeship in the studio but but yeah it you know it went it completely the whole idea you know i feel like sometimes we change our dreams you know mm -hmm. um we trade one dream for for another and and we realized that maybe the dreams that we've had, um, they're they're not what we really wanted in the first place. And so, um, you know, when I found what I feel like I really wanted in the first place, um, then I stayed there. And that would be as be, a uh, be, be uh, directing films and, and being an actor. Yeah, ah. I'm just joking, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> producing, producing yeah. records. Yeah, producing uh, records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but I did uh, produce a short film, you know, it's uh, um, going to be coming yeah, out very soon. We excellent. won some awards called Dragon Song, called Dragon yeah. Song. So, um, and I, I'm in it. But anyway, Dragon Song should be coming out very good. I'm not going to announce the date yet, but it's like really soon. Oh, I can't wait to see it. And you and I are making music videos together. Man, I'm excited. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I just uh, just want to stay on th that gr growing up thing and, and how we were focused as kids and what we wanted to do and you were doing your music and then you uh, worked with Jack Clement, who was my mentor actually yeah. uh, since yeah. 1980. Uh, he was the original engineer at Sun Studios. He uh, wrote uh, your dad's first hit. Uh, dream on Teenage Queen is, and uh, you told me a story of one time when you were going over to do a session with Jack Clement and how you didn't show up yeah, and yeah. what you had learned from that as I far booked, as well Jack Clement yeah I, I booked it as a producer uh, for, but I was gonna I was gonna work on some of my stuff and then I was gonna do something with this other artist that I was working with and and I didn't show up and this was in the late 1990s and but I, I grew up with Jack and and you know he, Jack was an ex-marine you know and, and right. never really stopped being a marine and and that was it that was inside his spirit and his soul you know and so um but he um he had a great love and laughter and whatever and you know he 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 he'd, uh, he'd smoke it up man but I learned so much from Jack. I really did. He, I, I went 
you know, to, um, I mean, at one point I, was, I called him up, say, I want to book the session. I didn't show up. So he called me and suddenly when, he, when I got on the phone, I was talking to a Marine. <laughs> and yeah. he said, he said, you know, you have to follow through with what you say you're going to do. You have to, you know, and you're not going to do that again. If you book another session for me, you're going to show up or you're going to call early. And, and I forget that kind of thing. Sometimes I make mistakes, you know, I do, um, you know, but, but having, yeah, a, yeah. Very, yeah, yeah, having a very passive father figure, my, my, you know, um, mm-hmm. um, uh, maybe Jack Clemens should have just gone ahead and spanked my bottom when I was 27 years old. Things would have been a lot better later, but, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I did, I've, I've learned so much from, from, uh, from Jack in my life and I still carry a lot of that. I carry, uh, the rules that, uh, that he, that he set for a studio recording, um, that are inside the cabin. Yeah. That are too. in the cabin. You know, um, one of one of them is do not wear headphones. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, don't bring guests and whatever to sessions. And then the different rules that he that he put together, uh, they're more comical than they are really anything. Lucy, Remember to have fun. Yeah, first, yeah, I think that doing. was number number one actually. Yeah, uh, they call it play. Yeah, yeah, we're <laughs> in the business of fun. You know, do not forget it. Yeah, and so. You know, it only, I mean, it only takes three minutes to record a hit. That's what, we, you know, that, I think that that's, came from Cowboy. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and that's because right. it's on the rules, and I know he wrote them in the early 1960s. So I mean, forgive me if someone else did write that before that. Hey, Dennis Quaid here. You may know that I'm a musician and a huge music fan, and I want to tell you about a new podcast that I discovered. I've been listening to Eric Krasno Plus One, a podcast hosted by Grammy Award-winning guitarist and producer Eric Krasno. I love the interviews. They go deep with musicians, and you hear stories of life in the studio, life on the road. (laughs) Those are really good, or bad, depending on which side of the story you're on. You got stories with bandmates and all the other shenanigans that go on behind the scenes. On Plus One, Eric has candid conversations with legendary musicians, many who are also his friends. And at the end of each episode, Eric plays a favorite track from his guest. So it's great for discovering new music, too. On Plus One, Eric has candid conversations with legendary musicians, many who are also his friends. And at the end of each episode, Eric plays a favorite track from his guest. So it's great for discovering new music, too. Eric's talked to people like Dave Matthews, Marcus King, Chris Robinson, And upcoming episodes feature conversations with John Mayer, Questlove, Derek Trucks, Phil Lesh, and so many more. So take a listen to Eric Krasno Plus One. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Hi, Dennis Quaid here. Hey, we all have tough days and things that interfere with our happiness or achieving our goals. If you are looking to better yourself, then you should look into BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. BetterHelp evaluates what you need and connects you to your very own licensed professional therapist. You'll be connected in less than one day, and you can send messages to your counselor anytime, day or night. This is not self-help, but it is professional counseling from the comfort of your own home. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you could schedule your own weekly video or phone sessions. Confidential, convenient, professional, and affordable. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com slash Quaid. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com, slash Quaid. Was there anything about, from your dad that you learned not to do? I know I have several things with my dad because, like you said, we're all flawed and we're all searching around in the dark sometimes about things that I looked at my dad and there were so many things I loved about him is his nature, his loving nature. He was, uh, you know, he played piano. He was, uh, he was very funny and he was great with people, a people person, but he was also very undisciplined himself. Oh yeah. And, you know, and not a lot of follow through. Like, no, I'm um, trying to remember what, what year did you do great balls of fire? What year would it have been that was, you were, that was uh, 
1987. 1987. Oh dear. Yep. Oh yeah, yep. man. He was he was full of laughter then, but he was very focused. Dad was he was pretty together um, in 1987, and, and but he was so full of fun. You know, and he was yeah. working with Cowboy, and he'd done, uh, yeah, a lot. And then he was on, on Polygram Records, and uh, would have been the year before, maybe, um, that that he recorded "Water from the Wells Pond." And um, uh, so I'm actually on it with him. So I, this during that time period, you know, that I was in the cabin a whole whole lot. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I remember uh, going going to the cabin, and uh, I remember when our, our our friend David Ferguson uh, was was in that that uh, that film with you. Um, you know, um, I think who, who, who did he, he played Jack Clement, of course. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, right. Yeah, David that Ferguson was. was. For he, yeah, he was uh, yeah, 22 yeah. years old. David Ferguson was the protege of yeah. Jack and this yeah. uh, engineered yeah. for him. Yeah, he's a, he's a producer now, you know, I mean, of course, he's, uh, he's working with uh, Dan Arbach and uh, did Sturgill Simpson's last record with him uh, and uh, co-produced it and whatnot. And, uh, but he's doing a whole lot of great work still now. But um, but yeah, man, Cowboy Jack Clement, he was like nobody else that I knew. And he, he was somebody that I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be strong natured and I wanted to make music and I wanted to have fun. And I wanted to watch from afar when I needed to, because that's how Cabo was. He would he would pull back and he'd let things go, let the musicians do what they did, and um, mm -hmm. he'd come back in when he needed to. Sometimes uh, and he always wanted to make you your best self. Yeah, 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 he did. yeah. And he, but he had a distinct vision, you know, for tracks and how they'd be created and whatnot. So you know, between him and then the minimalistic recordings of Rick Rubin, um, you know, uh, that a lot of that had to do with how I developed my production stuff. Yeah, but you know, growing up too, like I know, uh, like my father, that a couple of things that I learned. I didn't want to drink like my dad. My my dad did drink a a, a bit much, and uh, you know that's kind of the thing that really kind of affected my my growing up childhood was uh, sometimes you know the amount of alcohol that that he would drink. Yeah, you know, and it wasn't even discussed back then in terms of you know alcoholics or whatever. We were, it was uh, you know people people just drank too much, and it was uh, and it really wasn't talked about. And then you know I found myself getting older, and I I got, I ran into the same problems uh, with yeah. addiction yeah, exactly. uh, in my life, and you know all started out as fun, and then fun with problems, and then just finally problems. Mm -hmm. Uh, in my, in Do I know? Uh, yeah. cocaine, and yeah. uh, you know, yeah. alcohol goes along with that. Mm -hmm. You know, something that was ongoing for a number of years, and you know, caused a lot of wreckage and damage in my life. Yeah. And your father's struggle with that is, is well known. And and uh, recently, uh, I know you wrote in your book uh, about your mom's struggles at, at <laughs> towards the end of her life that came to yeah. light. The, uh, there's a great documentary called The Gift uh, that's on YouTube um, um, that uh, the trust and myself, the Johnny Cash Trust and June Carter Trust and myself were very close to. And I feel like personally, even though it does, you know, sort of come from us, I feel like it is uh, the closest thing to the truth, um, you know, as far as an overview of my father's life. Uh, but my dad, and, and when I was when I was born, he was he was completely sober. Um, he had uh, he he. He'd taken speed and whatnot and barbiturates through the 1960s. He, he straightened up in early 1968, uh, late 1967, somewhere in there, and married my mother. And by the time I was born, um, he was on a, a roll. He had a, he'd had a, a number one television series. And, um, you know, I think I can't remember if it was ABC or what it was, but he had a number one uh, hit television show for, for three seasons. And uh, it was a live music show. But but um, but then through my young years, my dad was completely sober. Um, in the late 1970s, my dad, st um, he started taking pain pills because of an injury. Uh, actually, in the, in the cabin, um, we're safe. But at one point, we would have not been safe in the compound across the street from my father's house because there were ostriches and buffalo here, of course. And those animals... Uh, some of them are, are aggressive, and Dad would we'd just walk over here. And Dad would say, just, "Just don't get close to the buffalo, son." You know, right? And and so I'd avoid the buffalo and the ostriches. But Dad was over here walking by himself one day with a stick in his hand, and the ostrich came up to him. You know, just sort of 
strutting and stuff, you know, angry as a male ostrich. And uh, so you're stepping into my, my realm here and, and got up in his face. And my dad took that stick and swung it at its neck. And he learned the hard way that you do not swing a stick at an ostrich's neck. Because if you do, their instinct is to jump up in the air and try to kick you with their monstrous, horrible talons and, and, and disembowel you. This, um, dad, luckily, was not disemboweled, but he did break three ribs. And so it was that accident. He was in his injury. I mean, he, his stomach was torn open, correct? It, yeah, yeah, it tore him open. But, it, I mean, not his guts didn't come out. Yeah, or anything, but he bled a little bit. But it, it did. It, you know, it was it was bad, but it didn't disembowel him. Um, but but still, um, you know, he, I think he broke three ribs, and it was that was the beginning, or so he says in his books. But that was the beginning of his of his addiction to painkillers. Um, right. And by the time he was um, by the time nineteen eighty three rolled around, and I would have been thirteen years old, uh, he went through the Betty Ford Center, and. Um, and his life changed and he really really uh, changed a lot about his life from then on um, although he had issues later down the line anyway that's the that's the nature of addiction um, mm -hmm. you know it, it keeps coming back but um, and if we keep coming back but uh, things might change so it could keep coming back to the right spot but uh, but yeah. dad you know um, he he um, he ha always had a kindness and a love within him and he really did, even through the worst years of his addiction that I saw um, in my early teenage uh, times. Um, he just was incoherent. He just was not there, you know. Mm -hmm. um, the person that I had known sort of disappeared uh, through my father's addiction period to, you know, to pain pills in the, in the early yeah. 1980s. And, and, How did that uh, make you feel? Oh, well, I was, I was a kid, man, and we were on the road, you know, together traveling, and my mother was there, too. My mother was not using any sort of medications or any taking any pills at all. And so um, she was a consummate codependent. My father was a consummate addict and I was, I was the consummate little kid right in the middle of it. Um, but, mm -hmm. the, but, you know, and they did, they argued, they fought, whatever. They had a lot of struggles um, and they nearly divorced in the early 1980s. And that's this all in the books. And so, you know, it's easy. For but, um, yeah. and then I uh, say the books, I mean, it's, it's in my father's autobiographies, which to me is, is still, uh, the most important wants to read if you want to know more about Johnny Cash read his autobiographies first and then go from there but um, I've also written a book about my father called The House of Cash that is a sort of a coffee table book but there's some of those stories in it also as there are other books of biography about my mother called Anchored in Love there are some wonderful biographies out there also but my father he he truly um, he, he really really got to a point in his addiction where he was going to die you know something didn't change and um, he, um, one night, um, we couldn't wake him up. And um, um, my mother and I, you know, I was traveling on the road, always on the road. And we couldn't wake him up. And so we put him in the bathtub. And, and it was after that that things began to change. And then it led to him going into the Betty Ford, Betty Ford Center. Um, yeah. And, and, and it really changed. He, he began to write a book. Uh, um, He'd been talking about it for a long time, but he really got in and finished a novel after that called Men in White. That is a, um, it's a, his only novel, finished novel, uh, about the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Uh, mm -hmm. And and it was, yeah, you know, he was very much interested in Apostle Paul. It was, yeah. Paul was his mentor. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Ideal, ideally, Mr. Paul, we should be able to follow your direction. Um, and yeah. ideal, ideally, it's really hard to hang up to um, to match up to what Paul had in mind for us as Christians. Sometimes, you know, recovery from from addiction is a spiritual journey, yeah. really, because it's a it's a problem of the spirit and of the body. You yourself had, had some addiction problems it, mm -hmm. growing up, like, yeah, like yeah. we all did as kids. We're all, yeah, we, we're yeah. all taking the, the, the stuff that was available at, at mm -hmm. the, the time of our lives, I guess. Yeah, when and, I, you know, when I was uh, uh, 21 years old, I, I overdosed on uh, psychedelic drugs, and, and uh, it wasn't very pretty, but I wound up in a recovery center myself from that. And, and you know, that was my first taste of, of, of what recovery was. Um, yeah. And uh, it took a while for my mind to come back around to where it is right now. And then now everything's okay, right? Everybody out there that knows me knows uh, I'm a little crazy still, but um, I was before that anyway. Um, but 
off and on throughout my life, uh, you know, I've had, I've had struggles. I've, I've had my ups and downs. Um, since my twenties, I can, um, I have more years uh, without a drink than I do with a drink. And alcohol yeah. was always my thing. But um, I myself uh, had my struggles. I, you know, for me, uh, you know, I turned of age in the seventies and, you know, Cocaine was the drug of choice back then, and I remember People Magazine even did a whole issue about how it was not addictive, and it was just a fun yeah. party drug. Oh, yeah. It took until uh, John Belushi overdosed yeah. with yeah. a cocktail for everybody to start waking up to, to, yeah. what, it, to what it was. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. Those, those those drugs that all have that in them that'll kill you. Uh, any of them are just are just horrendous and. Uh, and then, of course, marijuana doesn't have that, but uh, but still, it's uh, you can definitely eat too much of it. It'll give you a horrible stomach ache. You smoke too much of it, and you'll fall asleep. Yes. But <laughs> I don't. I don't too. smoke. I don't smoke. But <laughs> you can never have enough. <laughs> you can definitely get sick eating marijuana. Well, it's uh, sounded like you got the the message early. You know, uh, for me, it wasn't until like nine. Well, I got the I got the message early, but uh, that's the thing. nature of addiction. I think too, it's like it's like our memories as addicts are extremely short. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, no matter how uh, bright we may be, <laughs> we can. Our power to rationalize is very strong too. That's it. My Her genius is irrationalism. Oh yeah, <laughs> but you know, it, I don't know. I mean, it, we're all, we're all, you know, people have labels. It's like you know, you're an addict, you're an alcoholic, but whatever. I mean, it's just like we're we're humans. We're on our journey. We're 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 all coming together, and we're all getting stronger. And I truly believe, yeah. you know, that, that that that's the course that we're on. And if we're on the course where we're looking for the light. If we're on yeah. a course where you know the light is what's is what's ahead, um, and it really is, and it's not a train about to hit us, then I think we're yeah. doing well. To me, I look back and, and you know, as in a way, I'm grateful for what I've gone through. At least for I'm grateful for surviving it, but I'm also grateful because it, it has deepened me as a person yeah. uh, in a way to 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 really oh, kind of go through struggles. Yeah, exactly like right. That. Uh, uh, Think, you know, you think you're king of the world, you're indestructible, yeah. and that that happens to other people, and it humbles you. That's yeah. that's, that's really then, what. It, yeah, I, and that's it, man. I think that. Uh, I mean, I, I think uh, sometimes a problem, but but I mean, that's the deal. Um, you know, it's it's through these uh, greatest struggles that that we can learn the most and you know through the my mother would say the strongest fire is what uh, is it makes you know the toughest steel you know i mean but that's it and, and that's that's what it is i would not trade anything for my for my struggles yeah and because and, and because it put me where i am now, of course there are there are you know things that i mean i think we all look back and we have have certain regrets and you know um we yeah. have to figure it's out how to, you know, journey, yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah yeah where do we hurt others you know did you, know, you, grow, did you grow up in the church by the way yeah, yeah. Um, I grew up. Um, uh, um, I was baptized uh, when I was nine years old. Yeah, once in a church and once in the, uh, the Jordan River. The church meant a whole lot more, actually, in my heart because I think that's what I really gave over. And and you know, but a freedom. There's a freedom that comes along with being a Christian. You, you just you know your salvation's in place, and there's like a root that no matter what, that yeah. you, know, you know that is there. And 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 my father, my father had that. It doesn't mean we don't fear. It doesn't mean we, you know, it just means we hopefully can face our, you know, face our fears better and have a little more courage. But, but still, um, you know, down at the core of it all, once I, once I gave, gave my heart to Christ, I know that I am saved. And that's there. And, you know, I mean, I'm not sure. Um, am, am, I a, a, am I a Catholic? Uh, yeah. Am I a uh, Church of God member? Yeah. Am I? Yeah. Um, am, um, you know what book I'm going to carry into those churches? Same book. And so right. uh, the book is what I what I hold, and 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 that's the word. And and then I I want to learn from those who know the word better. How is how is the coronavirus uh, there? Have you even been hearing reports? Well, yeah, I, I think it's it's in rural areas. The things are still somewhat unaffected, uh, as far as like um, if you compare it to downtown Nashville, you know where where. You know, it's it's just very very different. Uh, the neighborhoods, something to see how you know. It feels like the nineteen eighties again. Everybody's out playing in the neighborhoods. All the kids are in their yards. People yeah. are getting getting in their car and hopping and going to the park if it's nice outside. 
everybody's people are actually meeting their neighbors and saying hello you know um <laughs> yeah. We, we, yeah we we let, we, you, we, let me introduce myself yeah yeah exactly i mean man we've been living next door to each other yeah. for all these all these years and i'm sure that's <laughs> happening everywhere even in beverly hills <laughs> which is crazy that's right? like, that's, that sounds like that's very much like we had to, you know we had the fires here a couple of months ago and we had to, at four in the morning uh had to yeah. had to leave. Oh. You know, they got woken up and we came outside and you know, oh, people man. were leaving. And, and I, Australia too. I, thought, I went next door. I saw my neighbor's house was dark. I went over and just rang the bell and kept ringing the bell until you know somebody answered. Because oh man, uh, and then it just not I mean, a few days you know before um, really everything started to speed up with the virus. Um, you know, Nashville got hit hit by um, you know a tornado, and it, it barreled through um, the about 14 miles, I think, from where I am in Hendersonville, um, and caused a lot of damage, and a few people passed away, and, it, you know, a lot of, lot of destruction. Um, the, way the, it, the way the people of Nashville came together for that oh, yeah, was yeah, so inspiring. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, sometimes when, I mean, when the wind starts blowing, it blows for a little while, and I, 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 I don't know how a better analogy, but um, I think maybe all the fires and, and everything, and the virus and everything, whatever, maybe it's connected. Maybe it is. I don't know for sure. Um, but, but you know, it's, uh, it is what it is. Uh, and we'll see, you know, what happens. Uh, but Nashville itself is, is pretty, pretty comfortable, you know, I mean, right now. Uh, but, you know, I mean, everybody is, is trying to make sure to stock up. Everybody um, is, is staying at home. I think, I, think it's, I mean, it's very possible that they're just like it, when anything um, really hard happens, um, I, I think a lot of humanity will unite. I think there's going to also yeah. be uh, more sickness. Uh, at the same time, we, talk, we were talking about alcoholism a little bit earlier, and I just sort of feel like uh, that that is going to rear its head in, uh, with a lot of folks, uh, maybe people that are, you know, uh, one way or another, um, it's time to go out and, and, and find the light and the spirit and the beauty, trying to, you know, seek out those things. And, uh, you know, I hope I you follow, follow the light. All of us yeah. To really reflect on what's really important. I'm finding yeah. out what's yeah. really important exactly. in life. Sort of exactly. like pruning. And, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that there could be a spiritual revival. I think that there will when, when all this yeah. is done, yeah, it's I going to be a different be. world uh, on, the, on the other side of it. I know yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, you know, there's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of people out there that are afraid, you know? And, and people that believe in God, sometimes the first time that they really do is when they're afraid and we talk yeah. about addiction and i talk about my, you know, my fears that led me uh, to uh, the path of recovery um the um if really it's fear that put me there and, well, and when you realize you can't do it yourself yeah exactly and we need each other and and so i think i think we're going to all come closer together i really do I, th I think that it that is inevitable and and I think a few years down the line, we'll, we'll be very, very aware that um, that everything has changed, and um, and I also think it's a period of adaptation. I think that uh, if if we are open to adaptation, um, that and if we make the action to adapt, that uh, it's it's going to only benefit us in the future to come, no matter what is to come. I think all of us are dragged dragged kicking and screaming into change. We all yeah. want change, but, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's really oh, hard. Yeah. You have well, to be careful what you ask God for. Yeah, well, I think, I think, it to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. I think God just told us all to go to our rooms. My <laughs> son <laughs> <laughs> Jack said that. I really, I really do. I, th I think basically he just told humanity, go to your room. <laughs> Well, you know, we, we were talking. We were talking about faith and and spiritual journeys. I was, you know, when I was in my teens, I I became disillusioned. I think with with church, with with religion, was really what it was. Not necessarily with Christianity, but with religion. Uh, yeah, if we if we have a good heart, you know, if we had a, have a good soul, it's like God yeah. knows that. And and I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, Christian and, and I believe in it. With the red with the red words of Jesus, and 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 also. Uh, just, I've read the Bible twice. I've read the Quran. I've read the 
the, yeah. the Bhagavad Gita and yeah. the Dhammapada. And I, I always keep coming back to the Bible because yeah. everything yeah. there is in life, every experience you could possibly have, every feeling you could ever yeah. feel is every lesson you could ever learn is right there. It's true, it's, you know, you it's all true. Learn the yeah. hard way. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And, and, you know, and, and the thing, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, we may find some of the some old stories or new stories from the Bible and we go, well, that's, that's not true. That's man or whatever, whatever. But, but it, it is all true. Um, and my father told me a, a story about, um, um, or he did not a story, but, but about how the Native American tribes in certain parts of uh, what is now the United States, um, how they would, uh, the indigenous peoples with tribes would come together and the wise men and the shamans from the tribes would all sit around the fire and, and they would not speak the same language. And each uh, of the head wise men would tell their story of creation in their language. And when they finished, all of the other wise men would nod and say, true true, true. And that word was very widespread throughout the indigenous tribes of North America. And, yes. and so then to the next one with his language, the next one with her language, the next one with her language, and, and on and on around the circle until they were all finished and they all agreed in truth. Right, yeah. in truth. Yeah. Because that's the, way the way the Bible is written and, and all the great texts really is that you they're written in such a way that you could take them literally as as my mother did she believed that you know that it was all literal mm -hmm. you could also you could also take it as symbolically you can take it as as a, as a, a man of learning or as mm -hmm. you, there's there's so many levels of which it can be read by all kinds of people mm -hmm. that it's still true yeah. yeah, 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 and 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 I think one one common thing that happens out there is people, you know, equate religion, and we were talking about a few moments ago, uh, create uh, religion and spirituality, and equate, equate, excuse me, uh, right, uh, but equate religion and spirituality, and and that's not necessarily. Um, you know, the, the way that the, the definitions are, if you look at Webster, <laughs> right, right, they're not the same. Uh, the spirituality it, it, and, and religion are, are, are two different things. And, and, and what yeah, I've come right. to understand is that religion is of man um, and spirituality is government to me. Yeah, well, yeah, religion is of man and spirituality is of God. Um, mm -hmm. But Christianity, um, um, also within the, the, the denominations or whatnot, it, it can also uh, lose sight of what uh, the, the true beauty is and what the word is. And it all comes back around to the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was God. Anyway, I feel like it all matches up with physics. The great yeah. the, the creation stories, especially yeah, yeah. go back to the mathematics, uh -huh. goes back to the Big Bang. Watch out, and mathematics. <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude. Yeah, no, and the golden ratio. Yeah, 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 exactly. And the golden ratio, right? And the three point right. one four, five six, whatever it is, don't doubt the line. Uh, but yeah. um, you know, pi, and um, and you know, the beauty of uh, of a chambered nautilus spiral shell. So anyway, it, it, it um, God is God is in the mass, and God is in our hearts. It's all true. Yeah. Have you have you in your life? Uh, I know I have that had had a crisis and. In uh, your faith, oh yeah, had it shaken. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And well, when I went through um, really, really struggle um, with um, with drugs, in my early twenties, my early nineteen twenties, in my early nineteen twenties, excuse me, in my early twenties, I felt empty and hollow and lost and alone and desperate and in need of you know, uh, to, a need of being filled. And um, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful that um, that that emptiness had not returned, um, and and even though I had um, you know given my my heart to Christ, I think I went through a, a change in, in my interior in my early 1920s where I emptied myself out because I burned my fuse so hard, and God was like, okay. Okay, I'll come back here in just a few minutes, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because because you're you're really really dumb and and you're gonna put stuff in the ground, and so uh, so I'm really I'm really glad that that uh, that you know since then up to this point today uh, the emptiness has never returned because I know that my heart you know holds God and I know that I know that it's not words I know that in in truth.
Yeah, I, I, I think that God does leave us alone when we are so intent on working and yeah. not ourselves. And, and right, and, you know, um, and the moment we get a, it's like, who, who believes in God? Well, you know, um, you know, in a, in a foxhole, yeah, we believe in God. Um, when we're facing, a, you know, something that we all have to come together for, boy, do we believe in God, right? And so, right. you know, everything good is going gonna, is gonna to come. Everything good is going to come back. Everything beautiful will come back again. You know, uh, if, if things look dark, uh, what, are, what are the Grateful Dead say? The first days are the, are the hardest days. Don't you worry anymore because when life looks like, um, here, here is, I'm breaking some rules somewhere. When life looks like easy street, there's danger at the door. Right. So, right. Yeah. I think it was Rick Warren the other uh, saying you know, that these, a lot of these television preachers are, you know, that God is the answer to a lot of your problems. So, you know, you could get God to heal you. You can you use the power of God. And a lot of times, uh, you know, that's God doesn't work that way. I serve God. God doesn't serve me. He's not there to take your order and yeah. fix it. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And then, yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. We are here. But he gave us freedom of, of will and mind. Yeah, we can do any any anything that we choose to do, and and um, um, you know we can serve him, or you know, or we can uh, we can serve up way too much for ourselves in a hot minute. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, yeah, I can, I can definitely gorge myself, but, but I'm, you know, I'm definitely, I'm forgive the double entendre, but um, if we can keep our radar and keep our sights on our radar, then I think that uh, we'll find that path, and um, and God will give us a chance yeah. to find that service. Well, yeah, I think that you know, happiness is a man thing that we're a thing made of man that we're looking to have. But I think joy is really what God is trying to give us Yeah, here on this earth. Oh yeah, man. Oh yeah. And, yeah. And I'm so grateful. Um, you know, I but it described to me that happiness that, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like, uh, standing outside work. And then when you, like when you stand outside and you work all day in the heat, and you look up, and 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 then you feel this cool breeze blows through your hair. That's that's happiness. Yeah, you know, it's being but, in the moment. Yeah. It's being Boy, in the present yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, but you sweated your butt off to get there, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's kind of switch gears a little bit and you know talk about uh, your own family. Your uh, your wife is a singer. As Anna well, Christina Cash, yeah, she's yeah. Uh, she's a wondrous singer. I'm excited about. She's got an album uh, actually going to be released very soon uh, called Sh uh, Shine. Really, Do you really excited her about well? that. I, I did produce that album. I did, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. She's she's got that coming out. ChristinaCash.com, and then anything anybody wants to find out more about me, JohnCarterCash.com. Also, I mean, my family is full of uh, of talent. My daughter. Um, Anna Maybell um, is a wonderful singer and guitar player. My my son Joseph uh, Cash, uh, he's on uh, he's got songs on YouTube and, and SoundCloud and uh, various places uh, um, out there to be found. And it, he's a wonderful guitar player and a, a uniquely brilliant um, instrumentalist um, and a creator. Oh, really? Awesome. So, I love the guitar. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's amazing. A guitar and uh, also he records himself and it, he he does loops and whatnot. It's a really unique music. Uh, Joe, Joseph Cash. They may be under Joe Cash. What kind but of music? Uh, exactly. It's 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 experimental. Um, um, I I don't know, but but I mean that would probably cover too broad of a term. I really don't know what you would call it. Um, you sound like a parent now, like techno, yeah. I know. So. Here we go. I know techno. <laughs> techno. No, that's from another generation. Hold on. Wait. I don't know. I really don't because it's so unique. I mean, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of loops and beats and whatnot. There's a lot of repetition um, yeah. of, of cycles, but he he. It's not linear. There's not a chorus and a verse and a chorus and a verse. Right. It, usually, if you hear something, you probably won't hear that again. You know, a, right. certain, a certain movement. Um, uh, you might, but it's going to be, you know, four songs down the line or something. You know, it's, it's, very, it's very unique. It's very brilliant. Um, and it's his own unique, you know, signatures. And I like nothing else. My son Jack is uh, learning to play the piano, full of life and spirit. My little girl. Oh, uh, and, yeah, yeah. And he's, 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 so, he's, so, he's so brilliant. But my, my little girl, um, Anna Maybell uh, Cash, um, she um, is now two and a half years old, and she's already singing in harmony. If you um, if you if you hit a note, she's probably she won't find the octave for our musicians out there. She will find a harmony note instead. 
Wow. Uh, even that's, with her little two and a half year old uh, voice. That's a gift. Yeah, it came from, well, Nita Carter, and grandmother, grandmother Maybell, and her mother, of course, um, Anna Christina Cash, um, equally as talented of a singer um, as, as my grandmother, my aunt, uh, my aunt Helen, and my mother, also wonderful uh, harmony singers. Go, going forward, you know, you're quite a filmmaker. Uh, yeah, as the short film that I saw last year, you remind me very much of Sam Peckinpah in, in the way that, uh, in your direction and in the look of, of your movies. And gosh, I hope the Westerns come back because you make a great Western director. Man, I'm excited. You know, uh, uh, the short film is called Dragon Song, and um, I'm going to be making announcement an announcement about the release date within the next few days from now. And I'm so excited to see that. Um, happening. Um, it, it, uh, it actually won uh, best short film, one festival last year, um, and then just won um, best Western short at another festival just now. Um, yeah. official, official selection at, at a number of, of festivals. Um, and so, you know, it's, I'm really excited to see, see it released um, and to see folks. Uh, Is there something that you've kind of like hit under a basket all your life? I've, uh, I've always been. I've always loved. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a watcher, right? But I mean, I've always loved certain a certain style of of, of filmmaking uh, within the, within that western genre, and that being Peck and Paul, uh, akin to Getty Westerns, also loved Heaven's Gate, beautifully shot, um, and and not hardly yeah. anyone has seen it. Um, Star Chris Christopherson, but but if you haven't, it's uh, it's it's very 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 long. But anyway, the, the way it's shot, the way it's shot is just amazing, and the performances are amazing. Directed brilliant. It's just it's hard to get into. Groundbreaking but, at the time. Yeah, there's nothing like it. But um, but anyway, that that style. There's a lot of natural light, and then sometimes the dialogue is disjointed. Sometimes it's sometimes it's it's linear. Sometimes it's not. You you're, you question what's happening and who's who, and and there's really not a hero. There's really not a bad guy. It's like everybody's sort of good and bad, and and that's 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 how my film is. It's uh, and it's also uh, got a sort of a psychedelic piece in it. That's a time travel thing. Those were the times of the anti-hero. Yeah, yeah. Back yeah. in those days. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. But uh, Dragon Song is the name of that film, and uh, based uh, around it, it contains actually um, the full song that I wrote when I was 21. When I hit my hard, hard rock bottom, it set me to walk back up again. And it was actually a song I wrote back then called Dragon Song, um, that is within the film. Mm. Did you ever want to do anything else that was completely away from music? Yeah. yeah. That had. Yeah, nothing to do with 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 your yeah. family tradition yeah yeah you bet um i come from many generations of preacher farmers my father traced back the cash lineage to around um uh, to the 13th century in scotland and uh, william cash the mariner uh, was uncle to william cash his nephew and and um and um, I come from the nephew's line. Most of his dis direct descendants of the Cashes, anyway, uh, and the Carters too, for this matter, uh, were farmers. And then preachers also for a few generations back. Um, right now, my preacher farmer uh, radar is tingling like Spider-Man senses. So um, that's, that's there, too. I, I mean, I've wanted to be a fisherman, man. But, but, I'm, but it's creativity, right? But the truth yeah. is, the, the Cashes, it was like, and he was a mariner, my, my my ancestor, my great, 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 great grandfather. But it was like a mariner, sailor, farmer, 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 Johnny Cash. We got over here. Yeah. 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 I mean, he didn't just ride on the boat. He was actually, you know, the captain of the boat. So, uh, or yeah. That's great. In fact, you're, you're writing an opera. I am yeah, rock writing an Appalachian, yes, an Appalachian rock symphonic rock opera called "Into the Sea with My Love." Um, most of the material I am working on with a wondrous musician named Matt Combs. He's co-writing some of the songs with me. Most of them, uh, Matt Combs is a great musician and a, a, a brilliant um, uh, fiddle player, violinist, and mandolin player, among other instruments. And for those of you out there who don't know the difference between a fiddle and a violin, even though they look exactly alike and they're tuned the same, it matters whose hands they're in. He has 
the hands of both players. And so I'm working with him, and because it does cross, uh, you know, the Appalachian traditional American music lines into uh, more uh, symphonic-related uh, 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 orchestral lines, um, and and also um, opera. It is is most certainly um, uh, an opera in uh, in its in, in the way that it's made up. I I think that's the most exciting things in life, and diving into things that are not our comfort zone that get it that where we really uh yeah start to get out of ourselves true 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 (laughs) yeah man that's exactly it and and you know people say it's like what are you a music producer are you a creator because i have my own music also i have an album coming out soon also too with my own music and that's that's coming out um um here in just well you're you're a renaissance fan well you know i mean a creative energy is just flowing, flowing, flowing. And a lot of the nature of my creative energy is that I want to let what that flows be what is exciting and new and different, right? And if that happens to be filmmaking, if that happens to be um, an Appalachian rock symphonic opera, or if it happens to be more music production, um, um, I'm going to follow that creativity. I'm going to follow that light. My friend uh, in the console room is laughing now that I've said light this many times. However, um, he knows what I mean in YouTube. But I'm really grateful um, for the realm of creativity that is there for us to reach to. And and it doesn't have to be film. It doesn't have to be music. It doesn't ha- you know have to be one thing or another. We we follow what we believe and what is beautiful. You know, man. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you're doing music, and I love it. Yeah. That can be farming. That yeah. Can be, it's really. What's your heart? But yeah, and, and your heart, where yeah, your but, heart is. Yeah, and, your music yeah. too, man. I love your music, and I love what you do. You know, so and uh, man, did I tell you that? <laughs> but uh, well, I did. I really hope to be getting together with you again real soon, and we yeah. would already be uh, if it, if it wasn't for this pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh well, road, you know, every once in a while, there's got to be one coming along. Every every seven or eight generations, maybe fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! It's not, funny. In a it's not while. funny. It's not funny. But I'm I'm very grateful. Um, you know um, that no matter what we go through as individuals or as as humans as a whole, uh, that there is hope and there is light. And, and we do not let it diminish. If we if we uh, if we supply the support and the strength for that light, it will lead us. It really, the, this is we're this the uh, our parents' generation. This is they call the greatest generation and because of the the trials that they faced and i think exactly we've had it really easy uh the boomers and the the millennials for the boomers to the millennials we've had it pretty easy and i think this is where we actually it's going to be a deepening experience for us you bet man and i think we're going to grow as a human race over it yeah, and and the generation right now that that um, is born, um, you know, within um, the next uh, couple three years, and and the ones that were born a couple three years in the past, including my little two and a half year old girl, um, Grace June, um, um, you know, it, it is it is up to us to support that generation and to bring them up um, with what strength that we can. Um, you know, and, and also to always, always supply hope and beauty and, and to, to, to bring that in to their understanding and to, and to keep love in the center. Because, I mean, right. this is not, this is not new. Uh, that, that a virus moved this fast around the entire world is new, but, um, but we, we just, we just are, uh, we're, we're a small world. Everybody says it. Oh, it's a small world. It's a small world. Well, our small world just showed us really how small we really are. You know, yeah. and, 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 oh, well, okay. So what do we do? We, we go back into home, into the center. And I really think that's where it has to start, man. You know, and, and those of us like myself and the, you know, that are flawed, it's like, um, it's time to just be calm and to, to look up. Yeah. I, I, I really hope that, you know, there's, there's a lot of divisiveness in, in this, in this country and, I, I really hope that this goes a long way towards bringing us all together in a way. And I know also that there's people out there that are sheltering that weren't planning on sheltering with yeah. those people. And it brings all the problems and all the beauty to the surface. 
yeah. to be dealt with those things yeah. that have yeah. not been dealt with and i, I just i know and it's all it's all relative man I'm, I'm i'm so grateful you know because i mean i'm i'm just so grateful for everything that's come up to this you know in life up to this point um and i'm i'm just praying every day to not take it for granted john i, yeah, I love talking with you yeah, man. Uh, it couldn't be a better person to carry on the legacy of your parents. I think you're a great example to your kids. You're very human. <laughs> I love yeah. the way you carry carry yeah. yourself. Thank you. Yeah, you and I just really just got to be friends. Um, really, you know, closer friends. And I'm so I'm so grateful uh, that that we did. So um, yeah, man. Uh, let's uh, let's talk again soon. And you know, I'm I'm, I'm with you, my brother. Same here, brother. All right. Say hello to your right, family. Cool. I will, then. Yeah. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode. And be sure to tune back in next Wednesday. I'll be talking with Billy Bush, and we'll be talking about second chances and Hollywood jail. Thanks for listening. seen all the video call fails by now the mute button mishaps the cat cameos people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off but none of this makes fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy bitsy baby duck how do i turn that thing off it's too late fred it's too late when you realize it's better to do business in person it matters where you stay welcome to the hilton garden Inn, fred the meeting room is right down the hall hilton for the stay